This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row studios in the crap part of Soho, Men in Blazers World Headquarters. It's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We're back! You're back. Football still exists. You, a lot of people thought you broadcast last week from inside a submarine that was marooned <laughs> inside of an iceberg. Where was it? I don't even remember. I don't even remember life before the international break, Rod. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling a bit low too this week, David. Yeah. Yeah, not just because it was Yom Kippur. Uh-huh. Not only because... Not a big one. Bob not, Dylan. Not a happy day. Oh, it's one of the happiest days of the year for <laughs> me, mate. Not only because Bob Dylan got a Nobel Prize. Yep. But Tracy Chapman, again, for another year, cruelly ignored. Oh, Come on, Nobel Prize. I don't know. They're how just, on earth did that happen? I think they're just anti-Semitic. But I, I think it was all down to international break blues, David, which I've got to believe. And GFOP psychologists, please advise on this. It's fast becoming an actual medical condition. Yeah. International breaks, it's the timing. The first international break is really bad in football. The one that happens after, I think, the first three fixtures. The second one is just terrible. It just is terrible because you've just gained back the momentum after the first international break. Then the second international break comes on. It just it takes away my will to live. I feel the second one in my kidneys, Dave. Yeah. Somewhere around my kidneys. At Everyday Dude tweeted us and said, I need an international break from international break. <laughs> it's very, very <laughs> Which true. I love. And he's not alone because we aren't, David. This is what I think. We're living in crazy times, dark times. The spiralling direction of this election cycle that will be dealt with on our other podcast, keeping it at like fifteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I realise yeah. I've needed football mm-hmm. all the more, and just the excruciating withdrawal that I've experienced, perhaps admittedly exacerbated. David, we've not talked about this. I have not drunk an alcohol at all this week. Really, not one drop has passed my little lips. Why? Just had an annual medical. <laughs> <laughs> Identified tiny, no big deal issue, no yeah. big deal. But I've not been able to put a Guinness to my lips in seven whole days. Wow, I want, we're about to change that. When have you not drunken? In se- I, I've been trying to think, when did I last not drink alcohol for seven straight days? I have never in my life, since the age of 15, 16, whenever I started drinking, I have never intentionally stopped drinking alcohol my six months in boarding school in america i wasn't allowed to drink so that was like i was forbidden from it but i haven't like of my own will stopped drinking i have gone for long periods without drinking but that's because as you know my goldfish like memory i've just forgotten to drink for a little bit of time but i've never intentionally not drunk i went through my kind of like memory base i realized that this is the longest time alcohol has not passed my lips since my 13th birthday. <laughs> you, look, you look good for it, Rog. Your head, your head's a little skinny. I feel you know, terrible. I don't like it when your head... I feel terrible. When you, when you lose your head fat, I don't like I it I very look, much. I think I look good because I took a photo of Slavan Bilic and my barber and said, make it look like that. Oh, my God. But I just wanted to say, one of the discoveries of the week, one of the joys of the week for me, David, mm-hmm. seltzer. Seltzer. <laughs> this is the most depressing conversation. What? Which is saying something as seeing as I've done this with people, you for so many people years. Don't, people don't understand. You not drinking is, a, this is going to be a we problem. We don't appreciate, we don't appreciate it. it it's yeah. an amazing event, invention, an amazing American invention. Yeah. An underappreciated, undersung pillar uh-huh. 
uh-huh. of democracy when I put it to my lips. Yeah. And I wish I lived in the days when a seltzer man would deliver seltzer by cart, horse uh-huh. and cart. It does. It tastes of freedom to me, David. <laughs> okay. Okay. By the way, slight another segue uh-huh. in this election season. I think Bobby Wood needs to run for president. Yeah. I'm not sure that anybody we like we should uh we should will to run for president i i think the 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 uh, election cycle is forever changed right yeah but he could get all of donald trump's kind of support by campaigning on the fact that in donald trump's imagination he'd be the first ever hawaiian-born president which, <laughs> <laughs> which i would probably count for something i've actually spent 70 percent of my week david yeah birth yeah. of humor on that other yeah our other um podcast keeping it at 1700 yeah it's on 539.com but i've spent 70 percent of my week mm-hmm. just immersed in fifa 17 yeah the journey oh that's good oh, if you play alex hunter uh-huh. if you don't know what i'm talking about in this edition of fifa mm-hmm. you get to live the life of a young kind of marcus rashford s star prospect and just live his life through to the big game it's yeah. so real and after three days of playing it, I just got him released from his contract and bumped out of minor league football. He's unemployed and he's on the streets. Uh-huh. Oh, it's oh. not going well for Alex Hunter in, in career mode. Oh, but thank God, David, we're mm-hmm. back within touching distance, the return of the Premier League. Yeah, and the return of the Men in Blazers show, Rog. We're coming back. They're letting us back on NBC it's a again. Big mistake. We're going to be on 5.30pm Eastern Time on Monday right after the post-game of Liverpool versus Man United on NBCSN. Can't wait. Klopp and Mourinho, David. We should be able to fill uh, at least four hours worth of material (laughs) with that. Just with a handshake, David. Exactly. There will be no hunting and fishing shows coming after us, Rog. Okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to prepare to welcome the Premier League back into our loving arms and break down all of this weekend's big storylines with the help of everyone's favourite velvet-voiced, ginger-haired, impartial <laughs> Leicester City observer from the gantry, Arlo White. We recap a US men's national team match played on a divot-ridden, conquer-caf-tastic pitch. We'll also <laughs> talk about the game in Cuba and we'll be joined by an amazing human being, NWSL champion, Golden Boot winner and MVP, the Western New York Flashes, Lynn Williams. Let's start at the top Okay, with a Guinness. Crack open the Guinness, your first drink in, what is it, seven days? Oh, look at that. You've you've remembered how to pour it. Thank you, nurse. How does it smell? It smells of rude health, David. Cheers, Rog. Happy New Year to health and happiness. To the football, Rog. Thank God. Or, if there isn't a god, thanks some kind of supreme machine that controls the universe. Pierre Moussa. Rog, thank God Premier League <laughs> football is back, one and the same. And not just because it gives us the chance to again do battle with our Togger Fantasy League <laughs> Perfect Eleven. Damn you, Togger! <laughs> to help us I love break you, I hate you, Togger! The bounty of football stretched out before us on this, the 8th. of the season, Rog. That reduces. It reduces in so many ways I can barely compute. And plumbs some Premier League storylines. Plum them. That have festered like open wounds over the international break. Beautiful, beautiful open wounds. We welcome the Noel Gallagher to Lee Dixon's Liam. (laughs) Oh, J-Dubs has been writing these scripts. The one and only Mr. Arlo White. Gentlemen, how are you? You, (sighs) I think somebody's looking forward to the resumption of the Premier League this weekend. (sighs) Oh, yeah. And by someone you oh. mean America, Arlo. It's been, <laughs> it's been dark. It's been. Dark. It's like we get the Premier League, yeah. the best Premier League ever, 
but in snatches. Yeah. And then we're torn away from us. Yeah, but we had to watch the presidential debates. What a world. <laughs> what a world we're living in. What a season you are witnessing firsthand. Quick question for you all, like, before we jump yeah. on into the major storylines. you got two friends, really, in your life. you got Graham Lasso. You yeah. got you got Lee Dixon. Amazing blokes both. But yeah. how do you experience the act of commentating differently with one than the other? They're both excellent, but they're both so different. Only one threatens to punch you in the face on regular occasions. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a it is a different experience with both of them. We we kind of um we, we, we all look forward to the three men in a booth situations that we have three men three booth. men and a baby i love a three man you booth. in the dancing role oh i love it am i dancing or gutenberg i'm not sure i think i think <laughs> lee would have to be would lee be selick um oh, graham would be dancing i'd be gutenberg i don't know i don't yeah, maybe i'm kirsty alley i'm not sure but selick. yeah and D- dixon would be the baby <laughs> <laughs> each experience is different and and lee does turn to you and does sort of punch, punch you on the arm on occasion and does give you little looks uh, that suggests that uh, he's going to, you know, kill you shortly after the final whistle. Um, but he's brilliant, and it's and it's all it's all just great fun. And and it's and some people tweet and say, "Oh, there was a bit of tension in the commentary box today," and there really wasn't. It's just how we are. And uh, and Graham and I get on get on great as well. We speak all the time during the week. We went out for lunch in in London on Monday. I love Graham because on replays, there's two things that can happen. He's guaranteed to either say the player is ever so clever. Yeah. Or he says the other option is the, what the player did. It's ever so difficult. I just adore it. Even if you do not like football, it's worth watching Graham in the booth just for like echoes, nostalgic rushes back to Downton Abbey era so kind of f- drama. It's so funny you noticed that because I noticed that Dixon on replays, it doesn't matter what the video evidence shows him. He will not change his story. <laughs> he's, he's made for politics, Lee Dixon. He will not change his narrative thrust that he, that he took first time. He sticks to it, whatever the video ever. Dixon for PM. We have got a absolute monster rush of storylines to jump through. We oh, wanted to yeah. kind of touch base with them, not through our opinions, because they are worthless. We want to speak to a general who has seen them firsthand from the hill overlooking the battle aka the gantries of england so let's jump right in with the big ones davo okay first off arlo huge story huge in the that. united states don't know how big it is you might not have heard in about the british Arlo. bob bradley <laughs> Bob bloody bradley it's a big story for premier league fans for american certainly this weekend bob bradley occupying the technical area opposite arsene wenger at the emirates 10 a.m saturday oh. a swansea visit arsenal in the first premier league game ever involving an american manager before we get to the game give us a sense of how double b's appointment is being received in britain arlo well i, I find it interesting dave i mean I, i've been on twitter uh, earlier on arguing to the point where i had to walk away from the computer with an American oh. making an astonishingly myopic and ignorant argument was it about... At, was it at Bradley. Embassy Davis? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> or at Donald Trump. His point was that it was embarrassing that Swansea had appointed an American in the Premier League, partly because he was appointed be- through American owners, simply, simply because he was American. And I, I just couldn't get a handle on where this guy was coming from you don't see, I, you don't see it, the logic behind this <laughs> argument there at all so it's not just that side this side of the atlantic that may you know maybe sort of eyebrows were raised i think bob's going to have to convince some premier league fans on uh, on his own side of the atlantic but look some of the swansea fans were unhappy um they they enjoyed 
uh, Guidoline's reign, they were unhappy that a club that has a history of treating people, you know, with respect, if you like, was fired on his birthday, days after, you, you know, getting a very, very good performance out of his side against Liverpool. Liverpool had to dig deep, um, and, and Swansea should have got an equaliser in the last uh, couple of seconds of that game, which, which may have turned things around, who knows, but I, I think Guidoline was out of the door anyway by the sounds of things. You know, the fans in Swansea, they own 21% of the football club, and I think they feel they should have been consulted, because you guys are aware, and, and obviously I've spent a lot of time in, in, in American soccer, and, and I know... Bob's backstory, and I know the journey that he has travelled, but it's a bit a bit left field for for those who maybe don't follow the the game across the Atlantic as closely as we do. Um, and the American connection with the owners, I'm sure, has had something to do with it. But what they haven't done, and this is, I think, a key point, is discriminated against Bob Bradley because he's American. And I Good think point. being American has held Bob back from a number of jobs in the past. Um, but I can see one or two English journalists probably nudging each other and smirking as he talks about, you know, his CV and his resume in these clubs and countries that he's that he's managed because they're not quite top table enough for them. But you can you can't doubt this guy's integrity and you can't doubt his leadership uh, abilities. You know, with all this this noise around in the in the modern world and the mudslinging that's going on, hopefully there is still room for someone of substance someone with the integrity who's worked tirelessly, obsessively to get to this point. And I hope the players and the fans at Swansea recognise that. And I hope Bob gets the results that he'll need to make this a success. But it's going to be fascinating. Uh, the American nature of his appointment was really well summed up by GFOP at Howells S, who tweeted to us, American owners rumoured to be changing the ground name to Statue of Liberty Stadium next, which I love. <laughs> I'd love if it was true. The joy of this is all the debate about the American nature or his managerial smarts is going to be put to bed because we're going to see him with some actual football very soon and it's going to be hard for him. He's had such little time to make any kind of impact at all with the core of his team away on international duty. But I love that first press conference, Arlo, where he took on the English snobbery head-on, honest, no-bullcrap approach. You know, uh, where he he, he seems to have tr- some Welsh snobbery as well. We it, should say. Well, he, he's a Welsh needs work, but he did trigger a backlash to the backlash amongst the English media, who've decided to warm up on him, back off about the American nature. They now call him inspirational and experienced, which is kind of the kiss of death. You know, he tried to throw away the American uh, quality that he brings to Swansea. He said, "The American side, I can cover in thirty seconds, and then I want to push it away." You know, in America, we always knew. We had to earn our respect. This is one day that we can show what the game is like in our country. But I'm not an American manager. I'm a football manager. Nobody in Swansea cares about what anyone thinks about in the United States. So he knows, he knows exactly uh, kind of what the optics are, what the challenges that he's facing. But I've got to say, Arlo, to watch him walk out at the Emirates, it's going to be to see a man who has dreamed big and toiled hard to make those dreams real. And on a personal note, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more emotionally invested in Bob's tenure. And the big tactical question for me, I'm thinking about this Arsenal game, is is Bob going to go athletic gear as he always does? Or is he going to up his game and go suit on the sidelines? Because it's hard to imagine (laughs) Bob Bradley without a big BB heat iron transferred onto his garment. I don't think he's going to change for anybody. Carlo, where, where are you on Swansea? They've had a tough start to the season. They had very tough fixtures. But I think they've looked quite good at times. Certainly, they're good against my Chelsea. Where are you yeah. on Swansea? 
from what I saw against Liverpool, Davo, and this is the sort of performance that I'm sure, uh, in knowing that he perhaps had the job beforehand, which is which has come out. Uh, I know he said that he wanted Gwydalyn to, to win the games. He wanted Swansea to win the games. And I absolutely believe him because I do believe in, in Bob Bradley's integrity and honesty. Uh, but here he is. He's got the job. He must have been absolutely delighted to have seen that final performance uh, under Gwydalyn. Uh, these players uh, have checked in. They're, they're, still, they're still there mentally. They're still prepared to work hard. They've got quality. There's no doubt about it. But they've got a, a tough a tough. Run ahead. I mean, 17th place, one place above the bottom three. Arsenal away is not ideal, is it? But then, you know, you can gather some points. Watford at home, Stoke away. Then a big one against Man United at home. Everton away. Look, it's difficult. But I think he's got the players and I think he's going to get the best out of them. And I think he'll keep Swansea in the Premier League this year. Big, big question coming at you, Arlo, for our Guinness poet philosopher, Raven of the Week. Oh, yeah, a great Raven on Bob Bradley about this weekend's game from an American Arsenal fan, Stephen Suffer. Hey, gents, as a lifelong Arsenal... And you're included within this, Arlo, as a gent. As a lifelong Arsenal fan for the past seven years, I'm in a bit of a quandary. As an American, I'm desperate for Bob to do well. I'm extremely worried that a loss to Arsenal on Saturday will give the American manager phobes of the Premier League the ammo to further continue their inglorious crusade against Bob Bradley, (laughs) a.k.a. American Pep Guardiola. So my question is simple. What do I do? Do I support Arsenal and hope and pray that Swansea do well in the coming weeks? Would a draw be enough for Arsenal to further their title (laughs) quest but also suppress the anti-American hounds of the Premier League? Or should I do the unthinkable and root against the Gunners for just this one week? Good question. What do you think, Arlie? Doesn't modern football throw up the most outrageous quandaries um, with, with its global nature? Um, you can't desert your team. You cannot desert your team because if they lose three points, it could be crucial in the final reckoning. And we know how Arsenal, the ups and downs, every point absolutely vital for them. Um, I know football has become very knee-jerky when it comes to, to firing managers. I'd like to think that Arsenal could win this game for you. And you could support them and it'll be fine. And Bob wouldn't be fired on Saturday night as a result of it. <laughs> Daddy <laughs> has spoken. Maybe John then hope the best for you. Uh, however, Daddy might have spoken, but Uncle Mikey, Uncle Davo, I, I, I have already felt a great swathe of Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool fans in the United States suddenly checking out the Swansea uh, store online, buying Swansea shirts, putting Bradley uh, on the back of their jerseys. I think we're suddenly, we've barely ever seen a Swansea jersey at a Men in Blazers event. I guarantee next time we go, it's going to be filled with Swansea jerseys. There are going to be many of them. I think a lot of American fans are going to convert from their present teams to Swansea. Particularly the ones that follow Fulham. (laughs) Absolutely, very true. I think your head is at war with your heart, mate. And I just say, pray this weekend that Bob just doesn't get humiliated, doesn't get smashed. He can lose this game and get results against Watford and Stoke upcoming. He can't get obliterated, which would play to the haters and the truly concerned Swansea fans who are just looking for hope. So a narrow squeaker loss, a Burnley-esque last-minute kind of Kashelny controversial concession, that'd be amazing for Bob. I will say, the other thing to wish for for Bob is that the petty squabbling with Jurgen Klinsmann. It's not a good look for anyone right now. And his first press conference, when he took an opportunity to swipe out in long, simmering fashion at Jurgen Klinsmann, who he sees as a predator who campaigned for his US job. Off the record, Bob's always made it clear he's never forgiven US soccer for pushing him out. That was the first time at this press conference I've heard him make this public. Jurgen then responded in kind. The wound is real for Bob. But right now, it's a sideshow distraction that suits neither man well. We should hold some kind of Dave out, a CNN debate 
yeah. live <laughs> between Jurgen and between Bob Bradley with oh. Martha Radatini and Dark moderating. No Cooper. I think we should out. just get it over. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just got to get it over and done with. But it's yeah. not a good look for anyone involved in American soccer. Yeah. Okay, next one, Arlo. Top of the table, Manchester City will try and rebound from their first loss of the season, 10 a.m. Eastern Time Saturday at the Etihad against Everton. Rog, are City mortal, or was the 2-0 loss to Tottenham before the break just an aberration? Feels, Arlo like, White. feels like months ago. <laughs> it does. They are mortal. Um, and I think it's good news if you want an exciting title race. Um, they have a vital seven games in this four-week period before the next FIFA break. Two of them are against Pep's former club Barcelona in the Champions League. And there's a small matter of a Manchester derby in the League Cup. So this is a pretty intensive period coming out of an international break and coming out of the last two games where they were they were pressed into a draw of fascinating and exciting draw at, uh, at Celtic 3-3 yep. in the Champions League and then Tottenham that game was absolutely astonishing in its frenzied intensity uh, and it was a joy to watch I've been very lucky so far chaps because we've seen the likes of Chelsea Liverpool the Manchester derby you know Arsenal against Chelsea there have been some absolutely brilliant games of football but I think they were all topped by that one. That's my game of the year so far. And I'm sure that Pep has been away in this two-week period. He will have conjured a new plan because at the moment, and this is what I find fascinating, is that if you close down every possible outlet for Bravo, he's got to go long. He doesn't want to go long because Joe Hart could do that. So he's still trying to make things happen. And then if you then close down the goalkeeper, he can make mistakes. He's, he's being tackled in possession. He's giving the ball away. And it, to me, City are creating problems for themselves. So I'm sure this whole thing is going to, to evolve. Because at the moment, the way it's going, it's making it easier, only on two games' evidence, it's making it easier to, to, to box them in and close them down, particularly without Kevin De Bruyne. And it just makes you wonder why, in that situation, when the, the sensible thing is then to go long, why Joe Hart couldn't be the goalkeeper for this team. Two things. After spending $214 million um, in, over the summer, they do seem so dependent on one man, Ginger Magic's Kevin De Bruyne. But I've got to ask you the critical question, how many teams can do to City what Spurs did, which is out-muscle them in midfield where they were completely one-yammered and force their oddly still vulnerable defence to crack? How many teams can do that? Because Spurs, as we will discuss, are so gifted. Yeah, Liverpool I put into that bracket, um, yeah, maybe Arsenal. and to a degree, to a degree, Arsenal. It, it, that, it had a very last season feel to City. When you see, and no disrespect to him, he's, he's a fine footballer, but when you see Fernando alongside Fernandinho um, in, in the heart of the midfield, it, it does feel a bit Pellegrini-ish. And, and he was forced into it because of, because of De Bruyne's absence. And because they'd had such a physical and tiring night at Parkhead, an emotionally draining night with that incredible atmosphere. But Guardiola said he went into the changing rooms after that game and his side was so exhausted they couldn't even speak. So then you're turning up on a Sunday, you know, at, at White Hart Lane and you've got to face what Spurs do to you. Um, it was very, very difficult. And I think it was the first sign that Guardiola recognised the tiredness of his team and, and, and put a, a bolstered the centre of midfield in the way that he did. Um, but you're right, not many teams are going to be able to do that because they're going to be able to pass around most teams, but, but Spurs are that good. Mm. So City are going to win a vast majority of their games, but at, at least 
they won't win 34 of them, perhaps, which it looked like they might do at one stage and just be the absolute class of the division. But I say that with an asterisk again. He may have gone gone away in the, ne- you know, the ensuing two weeks has come up with something new and De Bruyne comes back and maybe they revert to the team that won the first seven games. So, you know, we- we'll see. But they're, they're clearly going to be in the title race. Well, let's move on. We were just talking about them Spurs. Second place Spurs travel to Poolisville to take on West Brom Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. They're coming off that imperious aforementioned victory over Cite. Can they keep their frantic pressing game up all season or will they wilt again? Well, I felt they were stealth-like coming into that City game and, and the performance, as I've described, was breathtaking. You know, they drew two of their opening three. They lost at home to Monaco in the Champions League. And I was thinking that there was a bit of a hangover uh, from the tail end of last season, but, but they have arrived. I, I thought before the City game, that their best chance of winning the league title, the Premier League title, had gone. I thought it was last season when the only team to hunt down because of the the confluence of events, not at, not least uh, the dis- dysfunction of all the other big boys, the only team they had to hunt down was Leicester City, and and they failed to do it. You know, credit to Leicester for going through the season losing only three games. Mm. But but I've changed my view now. I think they're very much in the title race. Their depth will help them maintain that intensity. Davo, they might be a striker short. We'll have to see how. And whether Janssen can improve and adapt, you know, in the absence of Kane, uh, a former pro who played for England on the gantry on, on, on the week last Sunday said, you know what, they might even be a better team without Harry Kane because of Son's mobility. Yeah. And at times they were absolutely breathtaking going forward, not just the, the, the press, but the way they carved open chances was just a joy to behold. Their defence is incredible. Oh, their back the five, best back five in the league. Yeah, without a doubt. And they've got they've got replacements at fullback as well, so they can keep them fresh. Alderweireld and Vertonghen are two durable characters. Goalkeeper's excellent. But you look at the midfield here. Centrally, Dyer, Wanyama, who was amazing against City, and Dembele, who's back from the ban. Then in the wide areas, Lamella, Son, Sizuru, and Nkudu. Nkudu's a little unproven, but the, the first three particularly excellent. And then creatively, Ericsson and Deli Alley. I mean, they could be much better than last season. I think it's a mouth-watering prospect watching this team for the rest of the season. Pochettino is an amazing man, not just tactically, but in a league of prima donnas. He's the most anti-charismatic leader of them all. Uh, He's already having to deflect from the question about whether they're going to win the title in press conferences, which is the surest sign that they might just do so. Okay, let's go across North London, Arlo. We've already talked about Arsenal hosting Bob Bradley's Swansea this weekend. They sit third... Just two points off City. They haven't lost since opening day against Liverpool. But surely Arsenal can't win it all, can they? <laughs> uh, annual question. Um, the, the first day's defeat frustrated me with Arsenal because the business hadn't been done that needed to be done. So they shipped four goals at home and they, they lost from a winning position. Um, and that was for, and that's three points dropped. You know, then Mustafi has been signed. Koscielny and he looked great. Um, holding midfield looks stronger. They've got more depth there. You know, no disrespect to Flamini, but he was the, the alternative, and I don't think he was up to the task. So you've got Xhaka there or Coquelin, who got injured in the last game, so they look firmer there. It's almost like Wenger has built this team from the front to the back instead of the other, the conventional way round, which is the other way round. Um, Sanchez and Ozil have been magnificent. I mean, just breathtaking to watch at times. The intensity that they, they bring to the game and this, the guile and the skill. And they're actually singing off the same hymn sheet as well. There are signs of that, which is great. Maybe because Sanchez is playing down the middle as, as more of a, a central target for Ozil. But, but it's a grind. It's nine months. 
They have to avoid key injuries. They have to keep focus. They have to grind out results. I mean, Arsenal don't grind out results, do they? Because they play in this certain way. But they have to win at West Brom. They have to win tough games in December. Arsenal fans who jump on us all the time on Twitter that we hate Arsenal. We don't hate Arsenal. Arsenal in full flow. I'm just Arsenal. Arsenal hate Arsenal. (laughs) No one needs to. No one needs to hate on Arsenal. Their own fans do it so effectively. Yeah, right. So, you know, it, it, until they can put it together, and, and I listen to Lee Dixon on this because Lee has been there and he's been there under George Graham and he's been there under Arsene Wenger and he knows what it takes for this team, this club, to succeed at the top level and to and to win titles. And they haven't displayed an ability to do that in the last 12 years. So until they, until they do, no one's going to truly believe. Up front might be an issue. We don't know whether Perez is up to it. Giroud comes back into the mix. Do they need one with Sanchez doing such an effective job there? Maybe not. But, you know, you've got to figure that, that the focus, the injuries, the usual issues and, and the grind of a, of a long season, will they get over the line this time? They are more than capable of doing it. Until they do, I don't think anyone's going to truly believe. Okay. One of the joys of the season for me has been watching Alexis Sanchez take on that role with such vigour. I mean, creating so much space for those around him as well as hurting teams himself. I'll say this to you, Arlo. An Arsenal title victory in Wenger's 21st season after all he's been Mm. through, been written off so badly. It would be like seeing one of those 70-year-old Upper West Side dads who's had a baby with his third wife late in life. It would be that kind of odd human happiness. It would be beautiful. Uh, very, very, very well put, Rod. Well put. Beautiful, actually. Beautiful sentiment. Okay, Liverpool. Got a lot of American Liverpool fans very excited about their squad this year. The red half of Merseyside celebrating one year of Jurgen Klopp. Feels so much longer. They sit in fourth, two points off City as they prepare for Monday's clash with Manchester United. Oh, Monday night football, Rog. Has a year of hugs turned Liverpool into bona fide title contenders? Yes. And I can't wait to get to, bum, to bum, Anfield uh, in a new stand. New, a new gantry. I get all excited new about gantry. it. Probably. New gantry. gantry. Clean toilets. Gantry. Place to put my candies. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be getting the tingling up there. I know that for yeah. a fact. But uh, it, oh. it is. Uh, I, they are. And, and as soon as the final whistle blew in the Europa League final, they had a, t- a shocking second half and, and, and lost the game. So they lost their their, their chance to be in the, uh, in the Champions League this season. I thought, you know what? They could be genuine title contenders last year uh, next season so no european football for a team that relies similar to spurs on on the energy the gengen pressing the sharpness it's a perfect scenario they cannot afford to come out for games like they did against swansea because they weren't at the races and there's no excuse for it this year you they haven't got cup replays against exeter and league cup ties at the moment they haven't got champions league or europa league they've just got the Premier League, so they they cannot afford first halves like that. Albeit their response to it in the second was was fantastic. I, I looked this this week at uh, Tite's comments, the the Brazil national team coach, and we've seen that Coutinho has been on the on the on the fringes of the national team for a while, and he did well against Venezuela, Bolivia, a goal and assist in, in World Cup qualifying, and he says that's why he's a magician. Now is Coutinho's time, and in football, you have to back a player like that. This is the Brazilian national team coach mm-hmm. saying that now is the Coutinho era. That's how far he's come. That's how good a player he is. And you add Firmino, Lalana, Mane to this to this mix. Goal scoring machine, James Milner. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's intoxicating. Henderson, Davo has been magnificent, much maligned magnificent that goal against Chelsea was incredible but the ground he's covering in, in the centre of the park to enable these guys to play Boom. is extraordinary Matip looks like a great signing and Milner as you mentioned left back for the last six games converted all four penalties 
to the manner born in that position has been brilliant. The, the worry I have um, is goalkeeping. Uh, and Carrius against Swansea and, and to a degree against Hull looked petrified of crosses and didn't command his box. And I think that's a real, real worry for him as he gets used to the, the rough and tumble of English football. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Mignolet back, but they were looking for a goalkeeper that commanded his area better. And, and Carrius has had in the, in the three games that I've seen hasn't managed to do that. So I think Mignolet has a good chance of coming back on Monday night, which should be a fabulous game. Oh, as the undertones used to sing, a Guzan is hard to find. But Liverpool have run a combined 815 kilometres in that first seven games of the season, which is how they've smothered their opponents. I've got to say, the Man United game, Klopp's record against Mourinho, three wins, one draw, one lost lifetime, is teams. And this is a lovely segue to Manchester United, Davo. They've often overwhelmed Jose's. Let's talk about Man United. They head into Monday's game in sixth, Arlo. What has to happen for Mourinho's bits and pieces to gel? I think Mourinho's facing one of the most important moments in his career here. It's almost like a, a crossroads because the game is changing. The Premier League landscape is changing. And will he change with it? Or will he become and start to look a little antiquated in his approach? And I know that people, you know, Chelsea fans or, or Manchester United fans could say, he's Jose Mourinho, look at what he's won. And, and he has been magnificent. He's been a compelling character. He has been, you know, the good and evil of, of the Premier League for so many years. Um, and, and the respect for him is very high in, in what he's achieved. But when you, when you see players downing tools like they did at Chelsea, it hasn't happened at Manchester United yet, but all has not gone particularly smoothly. You know, to put it simplistically, he wants players to work hard defensively without necessarily releasing them to, to, to enjoy themselves and express themselves in an attacking sense. So that's what players at Man City, Liverpool and Spurs are. That's the deal that they're doing. You win the ball, you work hard, you run your kilometres, you run your miles and you win the ball back, then you can play. Mourinho is a little more cautious, a little more conservative. And, and I wonder if, if the play, it frustrates the players because the cool kids on the other side of Manchester or, or in Merseyside <laughs> or down in London, they're having a great old time of it and we're kind of stuck in this, in this sort of old, old style. So I, you can't change it in two weeks but, but with any, by any stretch of the imagination. But he does have excellent players and I'm sure he's going to come up with something. I've seen a lot of big games involving Mourinho teams at Chelsea, um, not so many at Manchester United, but mainly at Chelsea since we since we got the rights at NBC. And he likes to close down big games. And that's not necessarily the trend in this league anymore. Big games are starting to, to, to deliver fascinating, edge-of-your-seat excitement. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like open games. He likes 1-0 wins. And it's becoming, as I mentioned before, a little antiquated. So I'd be fascinated to see what his approach will be. I don't think he'll go toe-to-toe because they could get thrashed with the form that Liverpool are in. And they're all refreshed. They've got till Monday night to, to get over their, Europe, uh, their international exertions. So I, just, I can't wait to see how Mourinho responds and approaches games, not just on Monday, but for the rest of the season. It's not just about Mourinho, though, is it? Also, look at the quality of these players. We haven't quite seen the best of Pogba. I think everybody who's seen him play before knows that. Haven't seen the best of Zlatan yet. You know, Eric Bailly looks in one game like he's the best central defender to ever play in the Premier League. The next, he looks like, you know, he wouldn't make the hull back for. Um, mm. The players have got to step up. Something weird has been going on with some of those players, Martial mm. included. The Rooney question is, is omnipresent yeah, as well, isn't always, it? Yeah. Oh, poor Wayne, poor Wayne. Oh. Steve Coogan once said, if you give English people a choice between their own success and other people's failure... They'll always choose other people's failure. And I think that's what's driving the feeding frenzy behind Paul Wayne's 
decline. Most damning statistic for United is Pogba. He's had more haircuts than goals and assists <laughs> this season. That's got to change. I've got to say, when I think about this Jurgen Klopp-Jose Mourinho clash on Monday, which I cannot wait for, I mean, it's like a footballing equivalent of those symbolic theatre masks, the, the, the Talia, the muse of comedy, the laughing face against Melpamine, the muse of tragedy, the weeping face. It's going to be made real. It's going to be on the sidelines. You're going to be there in the gantry with the clean toilets. Yeah. What's the score going to be, Arlen? Liverpool 2, Manchester United 1. No need to watch it now, America. We just ruined it for you. We've got to ask you one last quick question because there's two words you've not mentioned at all in the past four hours and 27 minutes to us. Those two words are Leicester and City. Is it better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? Although at Okiehu tweeted us, he wants to know from you if the price of Leicester's title were eternal relegation was it worth it (laughs) yes yes definitely absolutely 100% you do a deal with the devil with five games to go last season if Leicester were to win the league and you got relegated into league two in three years would you take it yes (laughs) take it yeah look they they, uh, here's the excuse they lost Kante who is irreplaceable and by the way Steve Walsh who unearthed such talents as Kante and Mares and Vardy went to Everton in late July. Yes, in early August, Everton signed Idrissa Ghana, who is another Kante. He was second to Kante in every... And I was talking about this when we did Aston Villa games last season. Amidst the drots at Villa Park last year, Ghana was the shining light in, in their midfield. You know, tackles, interceptions, all that sort of thing that, that Kante excelled in. Ghana is, 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 is him, and he can pass the ball arguably better as well. Whether he covers as much ground or not, you know, that's, that's for argument's sake. But maybe... He would have been the replacement for Leicester and they wouldn't have this issue in the centre of the park. They had a different pre-season travelling all over the world. Lots of, they're not used to it. The new signings hadn't bedded in. They were caught cold on opening day at Hull. But the Champions League is a glorious distraction. I, I go with my brother. We bought we bought tickets for the home games. And when the music played before the Porto game, we just looked at each other and just laughed. And it just it was just so surreal and ridiculous. I looked around and people are just nudging each other. Can you believe this is happening? And then the they go champions. and win. The champions! Yeah. <laughs> Astonishing. Leicester fans, none, none of them think that Leicester are being relegated. None of them ever thought they would defend their title. And they're just enjoying the Champions League. And a Champions League qualification and top 10 spot in the Premier League. Happy days for Leicester fans. It is great to know that in a couple of years' time, you and your brother will be watching Leicester City in League Two and you'll both be elbowing each other, giggling, being like, I can't believe this is happening, (laughs) with a little tear in your eye. At least you've got our beautiful Chicago Bears to take the pain away, the Sunderland of the NFL. Let's both pray for them against the Jags this weekend and hope that Gus Bradley is no Bob Bradley. Uh, Roger, at that point, the, the, the lady that took me to my first Bears game, and we were at the same one, weren't we, the 1986 pre-season against the Indianapolis yes. Colts. And my Auntie Kath turned 75 on Thursday. So <laughs> happy birthday, Auntie Kath in Chicago. Auntie yeah. Kath, a wonder and an inspiration to us all because she put this young man, Arlo White, on the road to greatness in America and Britain in the way we've been accustomed. Arlo, we both say, everyone joins us who's listening in, in saying this, it is magic to have you on is going to be phenomenal to have you on in more than just three week bursts now it's all unbelievable really right David yeah unbelievable thanks so much Arlo (laughs) take care gentlemen always a pleasure bye bye amazing stuff from Arlo he's not lost his passion for the Premier League (laughs) Roger over the international break I can't tell you with Arlo White every day 
It's mm. National Poetry Day. It really is. Rog, Jürgen Klinsmann's US men's national team <sighs> defeated Cuba 2-0 in Havana Friday. And they drew with New Zealand 1-1 at RFK uh, Tuesday in games that did little to answer the lingering questions ahead of November the 11th Hex matchup against Mexico in Columbus. Do you know any German poems? Uh, I feel like I used to. A bit of Schiller. Read a bit of Schiller's I know poetry. That, the the Lorelei is weichnicht was so less bedeutend, das ist so traurig bin. I don't know what it means. That is so sad. Yeah, pretty much a beautiful entree into discussing these two. Yeah. <laughs> U.S. men's national yeah. team games, David. The flattest, dullest international week for the Von Trapps were a pair of friendlies, each for their own distinct reason, snooze fests. But with the rest of the world playing World Cup qualifiers, true sparring partners, hard to find. These games actually became less about winning, more about individual performances, answering the micro questions that linger as Jürgen prepares to pick his squad of 23 for the hex, which is fast approaching. So what did you make of it? First of all, the game... In Cuba, it's not the not the greatest surface we've ever seen the U.S. men's national team play on. If you didn't watch the game, the field, how to describe it? Yeah, sort of low rent public golf course. Not even in America, sort of in sort of Essex. Imagine what Joe Buck sees when he stares at his hairline in the mirror. <laughs> Just sparse tufts, huge barren patches. It was honestly as if the U.S. powers that be wanted to pick a field so bad for the men to play on so the women could never again complain about inequality yep, in playing point. surfaces. It was impossible to control the ball on the Cuban field. A curious decision, so close to the beginning of the hex and one which the players couldn't have savoured. I mean, avoiding serious injury seemed to be more important than winning losing, and the resultant spectacle was harder to look at than the vice presidential debate. At Fly Guy 14 summed it up well for us. He said, all this game is missing is being sports Skyping in Phil and Ray commentary from a Havana four-star hotel. We didn't get them. And the game, Dave, it revolved around two goals that seemed to have been ripped yeah. from Jurgen Klinsmann's dreams. Yeah. 61st minute, the lively Julian Green. Good Julian! Good Julian! Good Julian! On the day, proved himself to be the best American player when the US have to play on an arid, rutted sheep pasture. He's soccer's version of a sandwich. He drove into the box, mm. spanked the ball goalward. And the shot was parried, falling right at the feet of Wando. Yes, dare to Wando. Who finished with class first time on a bobbly pitch when it would have honestly been easier to Wando it over the bar. He needs bobbly. He needs a bobbly <laughs> pitch, Rog. We've now found out what Wando needs. At Matt 6. The pitch in Brazil was not bobbly enough. It wasn't bobbly too enough. predictable for him. Yeah. At Matt 6 tweeted, Viva la Wandolution! And then Wando returned the favour, breaking down the right, setting up Julian Green for the tap-in. His first goal... Since the Belgian game, absolutely magnificent. There would be more to come from Julian Green against New Zealand on Yom Kippur. Yeah, what an appropriate matchup for Yom Kippur against New Zealand. Poor Steve uh, Burnbaum. Ends 1-1 at RFK. Empty, crumbly RFK. Mm. One of the only football stadia that smells musty when you watch at home on television. This is astonishing to me, Davo. Just 9,012 fans bothered to turn up real attendance fatigue kicking in for this US team right now. Not, not good, Rog. Yeah, but it was better than the performance, Dave. Because again, the US played a game that was less about winning, but answering 
those micro questions for Jurgen. And, and this was a squad that was depleted. The core of the European players had already been sent home, like Christian Pulisic. And the first question that we're all asking is, who will be America's next top American goalkeeper? Mm. And that got answered in the negative within a minute as the US opened flatly against a spirited New Zealand. Omar Gonzalez jumped and headed on the air, leaving Chris Wood open to thrash the ball at a stunned William Yarbrough. And disaster was barely averted um, as the defenders scooped in to propel the ball away. And this goalkeeper audition continuing. I've got the feeling... Jürgen is actively auditioning, not for a third stringer, Davo, but for an ultimate replacement who'll come in sooner rather than later for Tim Howard and Brad Guzan. They should have their own Brangelina name at this point, like Howzan or Tim Brad, Davo. Yeah, Guward. Guward. That's it. That's quite good. Which which of these goalkeepers? They tried out about 15 goalkeepers uh, through these two games. Did they learn any more? Yeah, I mean, the most uh, reliable bloke seems to be Ethan Horvath, who impressed against Cuba. The most likely replacement is Colorado. The thing against him is he's a non-balled. Oh, but wow, the man of the future plays his football currently at Mould in the Norwegian Tippelagen. Mm. But in this game, the US midfield, Perry Kitchen of Hearts, Michael Bradley, Sasha Kleshtan, they just couldn't find rhythm, cohesion, traction. DeAndre Yedlin seemed well-intentioned but lost in an attacking role on the right. It took something special to bring the US to life. And for a second game on the run, it was... Good, Julian! It plays like a pair of fibrillators for this US team. He picked the ball up just over the halfway line, charged at two New Zealand defenders, cut inside, Iron Robin style, spanked the ball past the slightly match-fixy-looking New Zealand goalkeeper. (laughs) It was oddly flat-footed. Julian Green goal machine, David. Mm. I mean, wow, he's resuscitated his career partially at Bayern. Mm. I've I've got a feeling Jürgen believed he'd lost Julian last season but he's back and the thing that's fascinating about this US squad over the past 10 days the big dogs Tim Howard Clint Dempsey Jermaine Jones they weren't there and there was much more air to breathe for the young players who are trying to stake a claim who are normally at the bottom of a defined culture a hierarchy that's existed for the past well decade really and these two games were really about who felt they had the right to step up who didn't feel that they had to defer to the OGs and this was a squad intentionally chosen by Jürgen to see who would step up. Huh. And the question now is, has Julian done enough to make the 23 for the hex? Because the attacking half of the field, Josie, Bedoya, Christian Pulisic, Bobby Wood, all locks, Jordan Morris, Wando, and now Lyndon Gooch pressing for a place. It's probably the most competitive area of a squad that has so many unknowns. I'll say Gooch, God love him, made his debut with an invigorating half an hour in the second half, exactly the kind of player Jürgen loves tactically, but also mentally. Jürgen said he's a terrier with supreme confidence, and he whipped in a slew of beautiful balls that came to naught. On the night, Ipswich Towns, Monty Patterson somehow seemed to nutmeg all 10 US players and the unfortunate goalkeeper David Bingham uh, to make it 1-1. Largely unimpressive, forgettable performance, and the hex now looms, David. Yeah, real football in the CONCACAF region, but feels like we've got a lot of unknowns, Roger. Unknowns, as you would say. There are a lot of unknowns. I mean, we're going to play Mexico, in case you hadn't heard, yeah. in the crucible of Columbus. Grudge match in which the last four games, going back to 2002, have all been by identical Dos score scorelines. And then away to Costa Rica, where the US are winless. 0-8-1 all-time 
in qualifiers. I mean, the unknowns, the goalkeeper, the centre-back pairing, which is continuing to be on iPod shuffle mode, and the midfield. I mean, Sasha Klashtan has shown he's a creative playmaker over the past three and a half games. Does Jürgen go with him, or does he go with a more defensive mindset against Mexico and hope their enforcer, Jermaine Jones, can slot back into a 4-4-2, which would leave Sasha on the outside? We will have to see how all of these players perform for their clubs in the next couple of weeks, and then it's in Jürgen's hands. Yeah, it is, Rog. And talking of Jürgen, you just went down to DC to speak to Jürgen, to interview him. (sighs) We had a little field trip. Producers JW and Lexi and me, we hung out with Jürgen on Monday. Columbus Day to discuss how he sees his five plus years in charge preparing for his second hex and the big question I had for him is how he sees his 96 game experience is it a success because tightly behind Bruce Arena he is the second winningest coach in US soccer history believe it or not or does he view it with frustration at the up and down rate of progress you can listen to his response in a pod special which we will drop just ahead of the mighty hex. Wonderful. Rog, well, US, I think they look good compared to England. Two performances from them over the international break that make you wonder if Big Sam actually knew those reporters were recording his conversations (laughs) and took the easy way out. Interim manager Gareth Southgate saw his side defeat Malta 2-0 at Wembley before drawing in Slovenia 0-0 in a pair of absolutely turgid performances. The big story, well... Joe Hart had an amazing game, certainly against Slovenia, but also Southgate dropped captain Wayne Rooney for that second game for the Slovenia game. Oh, Davo, the ongoing Ralph Wiggumization of Wayne Rooney continues apace, and it is so hard to watch. Seismic decision for caretaker manager Southgate to dump England's brave captain slash old yeller onto the bench. Didn't make much difference ultimately, though, did it? No, not at all. And let's remember sort of England's record in qualifying. England, over the last oh, few years, I don't know, since really this century, they've been very good at qualifying. They've absolutely been terrible, terrible when they've got to major tournaments. Now England seem to also be terrible at qualifying. They might still qualify. They're still top of their group. But they're now playing terribly in qualifiers as well, Rog. Yeah, I found the reaction to Rooney's benching, Dave, to be absolutely fascinating. Mm. When he was put on the substitutes bench, the the kind of knee-jerk reaction from the press. He should be respected. 117 caps. Oh, my God. We were reading different newspapers. To me, the truth is, poor Wayne. He's gone from young, unstoppable assassin at Euro 2004 to captain talisman to exhibit A on why international players should know when their time is up and call retirement, David. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that I find this all terribly sad. And I must say, I think that there is a massive overreaction from fans and press on this whole issue. Wayne Rooney, you know, was not as good as his height as everybody would lead you to believe, and nor is he as bad right now as people would lead you to believe. Actually, when he came on in the Slovenia game, I thought he was one of England's best performers. In England, without Wayne Rooney, they looked shorn of a really smart pass of really uh, smart creativity uh, behind the front three. Um, So he's not as bad now as everybody's making out. I hate the idea that England fans, whipped up by the media, whipped up by social media, are booing Wayne Rooney after what he's given to England 
uh, over multiple, multiple years performances. He's never been one who said, I'm not available for international duty. He's never uh, shirked the responsibility. He wears that captain's armband uh, with pride. By all accounts, he's an amazing uh, figure behind the scenes. And I think that this is not a player, based on what he's done, who should be booed by any section of the England fans. I spent time over Yom Kippur, Dave, thinking about my own death. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, a lot of it actually. Uh-huh. Incidentally, is this was this related to not drinking? No, nah, it's the greatest way to feel alive, David, uh-huh. is to think about your own death. Okay. And inevitably, that thought about my own death linked inextricably to Wayne's international career. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe, mate. It really is. I mean, think about this. Do you remember that stocky teen who became England's youngest international took Euro two thousand and four by storm, scoring goals. Celebrating with cartwheels. I crap you not. Wayne Rooney, it's hard to imagine in his current manifestation. He used to cartwheel yeah. after scoring. One of the English papers, like the Guardian, the Observer, called him after Euro 2004, a snarling ball of aggression, too wild for some tastes, but a force impossible to ignore. He broke his foot in that tournament, had to limp out in the quarterfinal. England wilted without him. He's never really been the same again at international level he's been so mortal so petulant always the story rarely for good reason mostly serving in a role as piñata for a nation's pent-up footballing frustrations and frankly decades long at this point i remember there was an article after the failure at the 2010 world cup that the sun ran they just ran a front page feature mocking the roonies for splashing out fifteen thousand dollars for underfloor heating in a kennel for their pampered dogs only a couple of weeks later to quietly bury an apology where they had to write, in fact, there are no dog kennels at his home and thus no underfloor heating has been installed. We apologise for the mistake. But the damage is always done with Wayne. And, and to me, it's fascinating that Southgate, in his second game, Davo, had to show really that he's not afraid of the big decisions if he's going to be taken seriously and given the poison chalice of England manager job. Yeah, I think, look, and I think it was a football decision he made. I don't think it was purely political and I think he likes Wayne Rooney and I think what he said you know Southgate is going to give more clearly in press conferences already in two or three press conferences this the intelligence with which he speaks how revealing he is and how much he's sort of taking on the press and taking on mainstream football thinking I think it's laudable I think it's very very refreshing he wanted to make a tactical change the issue for Southgate is what he's missing in this squad is players who can really think for themselves on that pitch. And Rooney, and I know this seems laughable, Rooney, in terms of his football intelligence, is miles ahead of the rest of his teammates. And there isn't a player yet. Deli Ali is unfortunately not that player yet, may never be that player with that football intelligence of a Wayne Rooney behind him. You know what Beckham used to be for the team, Beckham who was the press criticised, he was only a right foot, what a right foot it was as we saw everybody watched on Instagram on the anniversary of that amazing free kick he scored against the Greeks to send England through to the 2002 World Cup. That right foot, when you're a right-footed footballer, can be pretty useful, but it was his footballing brain that was so good. There isn't another footballing brain in that England setup. There doesn't seem to be another footballing brain really coming through and that's something which England needs and that's why it's difficult to completely sacrifice Wayne Rooney at this point. I think Eric Dyer's a fantastic footballing brain but there's something remarkable. But he's not really a playmaker. He's still playing in that defensive midfield role. You need a player in that playmaker role going to do that. But there's something remarkable and this probably is going to be Gareth Southgate's job is that when they pull on an England jersey just deep-seated psychological problems kick in 
And, and what's amazing about this team, we always said it was the Lampards, it was the Gerrards, and yes, the Roonies, who are absolutely contaminated. We have to get rid of them, let this new crop in. Oh, we miss those guys now. But we're seeing the new crop of talented players, the Deli Allies, the Johnstones. They too go to crap, make terrible decision after terrible decision when they don an England jersey. It's a deep-seated psychological problem. It looks like it's going to be Southgate's job to work out on a permanent basis. To some degree, I keep telling myself it could be worse. We could be Scottish. Oh. And then I try and tell myself, well, Southgate's doing great. He got that difficult first win behind him without being caught up in a press sting extorting money from some far Asian syndicate, which is progress, which is true. But if it wasn't for Joe Hart, superhero, flying around his goal mouth fearlessly, yeah. playing the ball with his feet, funnily enough, at every opportunity uh, in, the, in the Slovenia game against an aggressive Slovenia team, the storyline would have been far more humbling. Joe Hart was incredible in those games. Amazing stat published uh, today in an English newspaper, I think it was the Daily Mail, that England's uh, goals scored to goals attempted, uh, shots scored versus shots on goal ratio, is worse than any team in the Premier League. Um, And it's amazing. These are the biggest stars, biggest English stars from Premier League sides. They have the worst goal scored to uh, goals attempted ratio of any team if they were competing in the Premier League you're so right they just look wooden they just look incapable of putting anything together actually they look quite good against Malta but it was Malta Rog and they were very very wasteful very profligate in front of it wasn't goal. a big team like New Zealand no I've got to say this about Gareth Southgate I do admire his tactical use of a waistcoat yeah to try and quickly conjure a signature memorable distinct managerial brand yeah it's all his waistcoats mm just leaves monocles. And I think assless chaps haven't been taken yet, Dave. The last available signature look for a manager keen to make an instant impression. I just hope he was a very good under-21 manager. This under-21 team is still doing exceptional things, you know, scoring uh, goals for fun against all uh, opposition. Play them. Rog. Play yeah, them. Might be playing. Might be playing Tammy Abraham up front. That might be the secret. You know, I just hope that he recognises players, brings through and brings through the people who can really perform for England. One last international game of note from the yeah. week. Great article in the New York Times about Iran's odd 1-0 victory over South Korea played on the eve of Ashura, mm-hmm. Shiite Islam's most solemn and sorrowful day, Davo. And as a compromise, they had to play it or they wouldn't have been able to qualify for the World Cup. And they played it in front of 100,000 fans who clerics forced to avoid cheering for the players. Mm -hmm. It was deemed an insult to religious values. And the religious authorities turned the stadium into a, quote, place of mourning with black banners commemorating the death of Hussein, a grandson of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm. And the fans had to mourn throughout the game. Sounds like your kind of football, Rod. Yeah, it made it sound just like the kind of atmosphere we've witnessed at West Ham's London <laughs> yeah, Stadium yeah, very, season, very, <laughs> very, very true, Rog, with, with less violence. OK, Rog, in MLS. MLS! A vast majority of MLS sides are gearing up for their penultimate game of the regular season Sunday. I thought that was going to be a vast majority of MLS sides are gearing up for the playoffs. Uh, in the Western Conference, Rail Salt Lake hosts Sporting Kansas City as both teams try and cling to their playoff spots. In the Eastern Conference, Rod, DC United hope to clinch a playoff spot against an NYC FC team that is in second place, trailing crosstown rival New York Red Bulls on just goal difference. Oh, we just released a pod this week mm. with NYC FC's wonder boy, Jack Harrison. Yeah. What a fascinating youth development journey he's had. The Ying to Christian Pulisic Yang 
Pulisic moved to Dortmund age 15 to make it as a pro. Harrison voluntarily, well, with his mother kind of forcing him, left the famed Manchester United Youth Academy to move to America, get an education to go alongside his footballing youth development on his path to make the pros and then some. He's been one of the young breakthrough MLS stars of the season at NYCFC. He's a beautiful bloke, remarkable story, magical gent. Talking about remarkable stories, Rog, the Western New York Flash won their first NWSL title Sunday in Houston, defeating the Washington Spirit on penalties in the 124th minute with the flash trailing 2-1. NWSL MVP and Golden Boot winner, 23-year-old Lynn Williams, rose above the Spirit defence and headed home across to send the game into a shootout. She then proceeded to convert one of the most nonchalant penalties in the history of football. That combined with three saves from Flash goalkeeper Sabrina D'Angelo helped the Flash go all Germany, winning 3-2 on penalties. For Williams, the win came on the same week she received her very first call-up from Jill Ellis. You spoke with her earlier today, Rog. Calling us from Fresno, California, preparing for the US women's national team game against Switzerland. It is a delight, it is an honour to have on the pod, Lynn Williams. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lynn, it's an absolute delight watching you. Your season, and by your, I mean your team, the Flash, but by your, I mean you as an individual, has been absolutely remarkable to watch. A year ago, the Flash finished a regular season seventh out of nine teams worse you are injured you have micro fracture surgery oh on your right knee not only does it end your campaign but it comes at a time when jill ellis is calling young players into the u.s women's national team camp to prove themselves before the olympics something you've dreamt about what did you learn about yourself during that rehab period i have always dreamed about being called up to the national team camp and after my when I was injured seeing that my friends um were being called up not just like idols anymore but my some of my close friends it was really hard on me and um you know I would be at home and I'd be like I can't even prove myself I I I don't know if I'll ever get a shot um just you know all these negative thoughts going through through my head and then you know just one day I stopped feeling sorry for myself and um, started thinking and I was like you know what Lynn you play soccer because you just love playing soccer you don't play to be on the national team you don't play for millions of dollars or anything it's just because you enjoy and really love the game and I say that my knee injury was probably a blessing in disguise Um, I really just got to sit and reevaluate what I love to do and was very excited for my friends getting to go in. Um, obviously, I was jealous and <laughs> envious, but I was excited for them. And and I think that in turn, instead of just it being all about me and um, myself and feeling bad for myself, I turned it into like, what can I do um, to contribute to my team and just loving the game of soccer? And And I think that's what you saw this season. It's an incredible lesson for everyone listening because to be candid I've always played soccer for money and for glory which is why my career has never gotten anywhere but (laughs) fast forward to this season your team the flash they're young they're quick manager Paul Riley had you playing a style of football that empowered you to score a league leading 11 times 
in 20 games after the disappointment of last season. Must have been some sweet relief. Which moment along the way made you realise that the Flash as a team had the chance to do something special? Yeah, going going into preseason, I don't think anybody thought we were going to be where we were. And even the seven of us that came back after last year, we were like, crap, here we go again. Um, we're going to be at the bottom of the table again. And, you know, I, it, was, it was not fun. But um, we were a young team, very young, and I think that's something that um, helped us. We got to be so close, um, some of my best friends on the team, as well as very naive, but like in a positive way, where we were just like, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to play, we're going to have fun, um, we're not going to put any expectations on ourselves, and we're just going to enjoy the game. And, and I think that that game in Kansas City, that opening game, when, when we won, we were like, you know what, we can do this, we can be really good. I think that's when the turning point started. The turning point and then some, because... Your team, your, your team propelled themselves with incredible collective spirit all the way to Sunday's final. Your dramatic win on penalty kicks. I want to take you back there like George Michael because your team were 2-1 down with the seconds. They were bleeding out of the game. Your championship dream was ending. I mean, the clock is in injury time of extra time. The seconds are ticking down. I've got to ask you, in that moment, does part of you start to fear the loss? to feel defeated on the field or as a player does your focus never shift from finding a goal until the final whistle I'm going to be very honest and there was some doubt in those last couple of minutes of you know what this maybe this isn't for us we played a great game but um, maybe they're going to win <sighs> the ball is crossed in in the 124th minute by <laughs> Jess McDonald and you you just seem to jump over the defenders other than Inspector Gadget I've not seen anyone do what you did <laughs> Uh, on the field to the ball because somehow you got your head on it what goes through your mind in that second are you thinking don't wonder this opportunity or does muscle memory just kick in and you do what you've done 10,000 times in training um I think it's just a bit of muscle memory to be honest I've watched the clip back like a million times and I'm still in disbelief that it happened I think I just blacked out (laughs) at some point in the game where I was like, you know, Lynn, you've just got to get on the end of this ball. And um, it goes in the back of the net. And I, you know, I think Sam Mewis, if you look at her reaction, just says it all. God love her. Her reaction was not to celebrate with your goal. She just stood there with hands on head, mouth wide open, like the scream. An experienced footballer. She'd never seen anything like it. We were all pretty shocked and amazed and even myself, I as watching the clip, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. And I'm like, holy crap, I got there. I did that. I think it's just muscle memory or or at a miracle. I don't <laughs> even know. I'm kind of speechless. <laughs> you go on to penalties. I've got to say, in the penalties, you converted the most nonchalant penalty of all time. I love, <laughs> I love your penalty. Please go to England at some point and teach the English national team how to take such technically precise penalties can you describe the emotions you live on the long walk from the halfway line to the ball what do you experience in that moment in a shootout Um, in a final did it just feel like a penalty or did it feel like one with more nerves than you've ever experienced before for some reason i felt um just this wave of calmness over me during that time normally i think i get very anxious when it comes to penalties but 
in this moment, I was just very calm. I think going to Portland and playing in front of that huge 22,000 people helped me. That's probably the biggest crowd and one of the biggest games I've ever played on in. In so, the semifinal. Um, in the semifinal. And so being able to go through that and, and those nerves, going up to the penalty, I was I was very calm. And um, I just normally, I just take a deep breath and, and picked my spot and went for it. And, you know, it, it goes in the goal. And um, I think we... We need to remember that we we've practiced our penalties um, for weeks now, just in case um, preparing for that moment and knowing that we have practiced and prepared for that just calmed me down, um, made me know that you know what, Lynn, you you can take a penalty and you <laughs> there's it's a big goal and it's a keeper to beat and you got this. So in that moment, it it was nerve wracking as a whole, but for me personally, I was very calm. Glory celebration, joy. Do you sleep that night after your heroics leading the team or are you just up all night full of adrenaline? Oh, yeah. We we went out. We had a good time. We we definitely celebrated the win. Um, a sleepless night. I I think I got maybe three hours of sleep and then got up and got on a bus at 8 a.m. But I just, <laughs> we won the championship. We went from people riding us off and being the underdogs to winning the entire league. And I, and I don't, I don't think I've actually slept in a couple of days. Just it's been a whirlwind of a week. It's, I still can't believe it. I'm still on a high. And I think um, if you ask any one of my teammates, they'll probably say the same thing. I mean, talk about whirlwind. The joy of victory must have enhanced and then some. Because four days after your team made the final, you, Lynn Williams, were named league MVP. And <laughs> you received your very first U.S. women's national team call-up on the same day. I mean, where are you? When you receive that call from Jill Ellis, what does she tell you? How do you experience it emotionally? Yeah, so I um, found out probably a week before everybody else. Um, and I was sitting in my apartment and I was doing um, just a couple of phone interviews um, because I had just won the Golden Boot. And I was sitting there um, kind of getting ready to pack because we're going to Portland and um I see a random number come up on my phone and I almost didn't answer it, but I was like, Oh, maybe it's another interview. So I pick it up. And, um, <laughs> and, so, so, and then somebody's like, Oh, this is him from, um, the women's national team. And I was like, Oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> what? And I internally was jumping up and down so excited, but I wanted to seem calm on the phone. <laughs> so, so I was like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, just not even speaking. Um, and he, he was like, you know, Jill wants to bring you into camp. I tried to play it cool. I probably didn't come off cool. But, <laughs> but definitely inside, I was jumping up and down. And immediately, I got off the phone, called my mom. Um, she was so excited. And then I, from there, I called my dad, called my sister. I say this has really been the <laughs> dream season for you. How long after victory do you allow yourself to enjoy it before thinking, oh, crap, I've got to make my first U.S. women's national team debut? October 19th against Switzerland. How long do you allow yourself to celebrate before you refocus and knuckle down the task at hand? In this past couple of weeks, like I couldn't have, I feel like I'm living a dream. Um, just with the amount of awards that I've gotten and especially in this league where there's so many great players, like I, it's been a whirlwind and then getting that call and then winning the championship, it's almost like one thing after the other, that's another. And I haven't, for a while, I didn't think I had time to enjoy it because um, we won, we celebrated, then we were back on the plane, back in New York, and I packed up and just got home 
last night. So I was having to worry about packing up all my stuff, getting home. I'm here for two days and then I leave for camp. So um, it's been crazy. But, you know, I I got time this week with my teammates um, to celebrate. And now that I'm home, I'm going to take today, relax a bit, just enjoy being home. And then tomorrow, um, start refocusing, you know, um, I, it's a bit nerve wracking. I think anytime you're going into camp, I obviously don't know because it's my first time. So it's probably more nerve wracking for me, but having my teammates, Sam and Abby go with me, um, that gives me a bit of confidence to know that I've played with them and I've trained with them. And then at the same time, just coming off of a season, I think it, it kind of worked out perfectly that I'm, I haven't had any downtime, so I'm still in soccer mode. I'm still in like very excited um, playing mode, and I think I'm, um, I think I'm playing well right now. So, in that sense, I I'm very excited, but I'm it's almost like a bit calm right now. Probably probably when I get into camp, that calmness will go away. But right now, I'm focused and ready to go. Just big time it when you get there, Lynn. That would be my advice. <laughs> All of it is richly deserved. Savor every single second. Anyone who has watched NWSL this season will know how richly deserved your success has been. Your story, to be candid, it's an inspiration to so many of us. I mean, congratulations to you and The Flash on your tenacity and success. And Godspeed, Lynn, to you and the US women's national team against Switzerland next Wednesday. Godspeed, Lynn. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That really means so much to me. Thank you. Great job, Rog. What a great job by Lynn Williams. Yeah, absolutely. What a human being. I've got a feeling, Davo, she's the future. 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 Okay, Rog, your weekend looks like this, courtesy of Mini USA. On Saturday, Chelsea versus Leicester City at 7.30 a.m. That's followed by Arsenal versus Bob Bradley Swansea at 10 a.m. Then at 12.30, Palace and the brothers Benteke host West Ham. I told, uh, by the way, in London, I told Steve Parrish about all the stuff we're doing about Jonathan Benteke and Christian Benteke. He wasn't very amused at all. All those games on the NBC family of networks. I like the Clinton brothers. Yeah, he, did, he didn't enjoy that at no. all. And Sunday in MLS, get out your jean jackets and Levi's for a Canadian tuxedo derby. Montreal host Toronto at 3pm on ESPN. That's followed by Portland versus Colorado at 5pm Eastern Time, also on ESPN. Come on, Kyle. You can do it. Okay, and Monday, following Liverpool versus Manchester United, the worst show in the history of television returns, Rog. That's right, the pinky and the brain of soccer broadcasting. We're back. The show is live at 5.30pm Eastern Time on NBCSN. The worst. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Many places gets a tiny percentage of that. So it's covered the green show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book. Oh. I was tempted to put in Primo Levy's collected poems, but I thought that was a bit depressing. Two weeks on the run. So I'm going to go a bit more upbeat. Davo, here we go. Everton in the 80s. Oh. The Players' Stories by Simon Hart. Just a fantastic volume. Can I say, the publisher, the wonderful De Coubertin. Oh, named after the Baron. The Baron De Coubertin. Oh, yeah. De Coubertin Books. Yeah. Which is just a must-visit publisher for any American football fan. Just Google them. They create a wealth of magical tomes on the big English teams and their histories. This one revisits the most successful decade of Everton's 
entire being. The 1980s, coincidentally, the happiest time of my life also, when the huge of hair and tight of shorts Everton were poised to become one of the best teams in Europe. This book relives their titles, their trophies, both domestic and European. This is not a piece of science fiction, David. This is history. And the surging energy behind the club were the stars who made it happen. Gary Lineker, Pat Nevin, one of my favourites, the hard-living, hard-charging Pat van der Howe. It's simply a must-read for any American Everton fan looking to deepen their understanding of the club and its history. And I'm not afraid to admit, I cried three times while I was reading Little Rog memories. Sweet Rog, that gave me the feels. Little Rog, <laughs> Little Rog in the 1980s. Uh, okay, Rog, talking about Little Rog, it's doomed. also Little I George. Doomed. Halloween just around the corner. I've been working very hard sourcing George's Halloween costume. Your son. Who George. does he want to be for Halloween? He wants to be James Bond, Rog, and he wants to be James Bond in Casino Royale, his favourite James Bond movie. Is he not a Roger Moore man? No, not, we've not got to the Roger Moore era. We, we, we're still in Tim Keeping Dalton. We're working back. We're working backwards, and we're in Tim Dalton oh, right now. Moore. We're about to get to Live and Let Die, which is going to be. Fun. I like that one. It's going to be a. Although bit the snakes thing, I know it's going to be a challenge. Dave, anyway, uh, Casino Royale, James night. Bond. He needs a tuxedo. I've been searching everywhere. Finally found one from Spring Notion, Rog, the big boy's modern fit tuxedo set. It's the white dinner jacket, Rog, with the black pants, the black bow tie, a little, a little natty scarf, a little shirt, size boys five, a bargain at $31.98. I don't know what it's made out of. We're about to go and find out. But if your kid wants to be James Bond, just like George for Halloween, you know, to imagine that England are good. It's the only thing that's good about England, Rog, especially after this weekend's uh, international break. Those awful qualifiers. Uh, you go and get that uh, tuxedo jacket from Spring Notion. And for those of you looking to dress your children up as Tattoo from Fantasy Island, <laughs> it'll work doubly it good as work. well. It would also work, Rog. Okay. The plane, the plane, Dave. Follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Rog Bennett. Follow us at... Instagram at Men in Blazers at Embassy underscore Davis on Facebook Men in Blazers you can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com Vendorpunk Rog War Pig who wants to sex Matumbo Explosion Courage Take that Gloria is that your analysis to tweet Abrogado rock on mate Kung Fu fight in America love you Dave love you Rog the plane the plane